0: Wonderful to see all of you this morning. Thanks for coming to Sunday School. This, is anybody new to Sunday School, to this format? A few of you are. Oh, a lot of you are. Okay. So at uh, New Life Downtown, we do Sunday School about nine months of the year and switch um, topics about monthly. So this is the first time we've actually done a whole month of parenting in, since we started for, in four years. It's kind of sad. So we need to do more of this, but, but I'm really, really excited that we're able to... Do this for about five weeks. So I'm um, I'm Holly Packiam, married to Glenn, the pastor here at New Life Downtown. Um, I shared quite a bit of my story the first week. So if you're like, who is this person up here? We only know Glenn. We don't know anything about Holly. I shared kind of just a short synopsis of my story in the first week. So if you want to listen to that podcast at all, I won't repeat all of that. Um, but I'll just tell you a small amount. Um, so we have four kids. Um, 11, 9, 6, and 3, so I've been on this parenting journey for 11 years. Um, It's been, you know, extremely difficult and extremely joyful, as all of you who have parents know that that's how it is. I am curious, just to kind of get a grasp of ages of your kids, I know we did this kind of probably every week we'll ask this, but who has, like, newborns to two, three, okay, a good majority. Okay. <laughs> and then, do any of you have older kids, like elementary, middle school, so some of the same people, yeah. Any empty nesters in here today? There's a few empty nesters, yay! <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, um, and we've had, last week we had Jim and Mary Kretchman here, some of you were here for that, and they're doing a two-week series, so they started that last week, and they'll continue next week kind of giving some of the practical examples of what they talked about, kind of what they called love-shape parenting. So Mary will speak next week on that. So we'll get started. Um, so I'm going to be talking about creating a culture of reading, and I think the title listed was a little bit different, and I'm going to get to the part about character, kind of facilitating and discussing character with your kids in books as kind of a second point but i wanted to set the the tone and the kind of the framework by talking about just reading in homes and loving books in homes and so i'm also curious to know how many of you grew up in a home where reading where you read a lot reading was encouraged or is this like some of you okay quite a lot of you okay So there's, that's probably more than the majority. Some of you, so some of you are going to hear this and go, yeah, Holly, this is familiar to me. I'm used to being in this kind of a culture. I'm used to reading. And some of you may say, you know, this is totally foreign to me, and I struggle. I didn't read as a child. I struggle to read to my kids. So we'll try to kind of hit some of the the gamut of that. So. So I'll start off talking about just how I've learned to grow into this idea that story is a gift. Um, I don't know that I really caught a glimpse of it growing up, even though I saw it a lot, that my dad was a big reader, my grandpa was a big reader, but I think as I've grown into being an adult and had the privilege of reading with our kids, I've seen how having this life of stories forming them in some way has been such a gift to them, and that, um, it's inspiring them and helping them to see things that they may not have otherwise seen, which we'll flesh out here in a minute, um. There's a book by Eugene Peterson called Tell It Slant. Have any of you heard of that book? Eugene wrote the message translation of the Bible, but he wrote this book called Tell It Slant. And in it, he talks a lot about um, different stories in the Bible, about prayer, but how some of these things really, in a subversive way, help us to see um, what he's doing, help us to see the point of things. Because as we know, Jesus and his stories was not, he didn't tell us straight out, like, this is just do this, just do that. But he gave us stories to show us that, for us to be able to use our imagination to see how this could play out. Um, So that was something that I connected about three years ago. I never really thought about that. So it really inspired me as a parent that Jesus was doing this you know, with his disciples, that this is his way of showing us truth, of showing us character, showing us lessons, showing us the good and the bad, that maybe we can, that literature is just a way of kind of supporting that, of reinforcing what we would do with Bible stories with our kids. So Jesus wasn't so much handing out information as reshaping our imaginations. That's a quote by Eugene Peterson. If we can imagine the life of a heroic character in a story, we can begin to imagine ourselves as a hero in our own story. And I want to qualify this too by saying, um, obviously, God is the true hero. And Glenn and I were talking through this. He's like, don't undo all the stuff I say in my sermons. about." <laughs> he's always saying, you know, we, it's more of probably a postmodern idea to say, we are the hero in our own story, and we, you know, it's all sort of about us. But, so I want to qualify and say, God, you know, and, who brought Jesus um, into our world was, the true hero, but we, I think, by his example and by the example of people in the Bible and in literature, it's sort of a way of of him bringing examples to us. Although not the perfect, not the perfect hero, but um, we are still a hero in in the bigger story. And just to share a little bit about, I hinted to it earlier, about my journey with reading. So I mentioned that I had. Um, a grandpa who I, I just have this vivid image of my grandpa. He was a farmer, and he would just—he would sit in his big lazy boy, and every day he'd come home reading was kind of the way that he unwound. And he um, I just always saw that. And then my dad would do the same thing all growing up. But it was interesting because we never talked about it. Uh, it wasn't like we talked about the value of reading, or my dad didn't really talk with me through what he was reading, any of that, but I saw this modeled. And so I really believe today that was, because that was really all that I saw, it wasn't nothing inspirational to give me a vision for reading in our home, but that was modeled for me, so I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, so I think because of that, I, it kind of gave me, just this is just what we do, we read. So I, as a young child, I did read quite a bit, but as I got older, I don't know if whoever of you are in here, maybe in your 30s, I'm 37, I grew up reading like the Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High, um, those kind of series, which not bad, not evil, there's nothing bad about them, but I don't know that they really did anything wonderful either. I don't know that they really inspired me to anything or that I, you know, it's just fine. Um, there's a British educator named Charlotte Mason, who some of you might have heard her name, but she um, coined this term called twaddle. And what she meant by that was just something that's not maybe, um, like the opposite of that might be a living book, which would be a book where, written by a singular author, an author who was really passionate, knew a lot about her, his or her topic, versus twaddle might just be something you know, fun, and, and I, I think we all need to pick up those, even with my girls, you know, it's not like they're all reading these, like, classics all day long. They, there are fun books that they pick up, but I think overall I want to encourage the reading of something that's going to be beautiful and stretch their minds and help them to think about character and virtue and things, things in that order. Um, I was fortunate enough to come across, like, the Little House series and Anne of Green Gables and a few a few good ones that kind of spurred me on. But then it kind of went downhill in high school. I started reading, like, Danielle Steele and, like, V.C. Andrews. I don't It was, you know, not, not so good. Uh, yeah, it didn't go so well from there. Um, so I, so time goes by. I became a mom at 25, and probably about 27. Um, I had two small kids at that time, and I just started to think about this more, like, I, want, I, I should be reading to them, I want to, I want to read with them, but I really have no idea. So I happened to be in a bookstore one day and came across this woman who was with a little toddler, and um, I just said, I, I, I really was lost. I'm like, I really don't know, even, you know, you're kind of overwhelmed in a bookstore. And I asked her, what do you think? And she's like, well, have you ever heard of this woman named Charlotte Mason? And it was, I really feel like it was kind of an orchestrated moment to kind of see something um, maybe from the Lord. Um, but anyway, so I looked her up. and ended So anyways, if you're interested in a person, if you look up her name online, she really, she was a British, British educator in the 1800s and um, just has tons of book lists online. Um, there's a website called Ambleside Online that kind of, for, if you're looking for like, grade, And it is not the easiest. You'll find like, oh, she recommends some pretty challenging things for, for grade level. But it's been really, really helpful to me. Um, And she's been really an inspiring person. Um, So anyways, I was thinking what, kind of trying to get a vision for what I should be reading with them, but then also taking a step back and saying, how am I supposed to do this well if I really haven't poured good stuff into me? So on one hand, there's this journey of wanting to, create a feast of wonderful books for our kids, but then it's also difficult when you haven't necessarily poured that into yourself like I like like myself. So I think I tried to start doing both. Um, It was really a fun journey with my kids because there were so many books that I hadn't read. And I really do think a great children's book is one that will be enjoyed by adults. I mean the ones that I want to keep picking up for them are ones that we can all enjoy. There's there's some Goodness and richness in it that we all will really enjoy. Um, but then I also had this hunger to, and kind of a grief almost that I felt like, oh, I've missed out on this great wealth of literature out there that I really never knew was there. Um, and sometimes it takes, I think, pushing through and plunging in a bit to to get there. And I have conversations with people all the time where it's like, well, I just don't really see it, Holly. Like it's kind of boring or it's slow or You know, but, um, so it takes some pushing through and, and a lot of our modern books are really quick and, um, just want to get you to that plot and and those are fun too, but I think there's also something beautiful about reading something slower and longer that helps you kind of just settle in the journey and take in something, there's some, there's beauty and goodness in something that's slower paced, um. And I'm going off of I'm, I guess I'm trusting the voices of old of ancient writers to say, it's something that's a classic, So this has stood the test of time. Like, there's got to be something in it, even if I don't see it immediately. So I'm trying to kind of push through to, to see what's beautiful about it. Um, let's see here. So I have a friend, um, Sarah Clarkson, and if any of you want to look at this book when we're done, she wrote a book called "Caught Up in a Story." And the sub is fostering a story-form life of great books and imagination with your children. And um, the Clarkson's will be here actually at the end of the month to talk with you. And they have a parenting ministry and have been really um, inspiring and influential in Glenn and I's lives of parenting. And really, I credit them for so much of helping me have a vision for books in family life because they've done it so well and modeled it so well. And so I'm really excited that you'll get to hear from them. But if what I'm saying is is really new to you and you're like, I'm just not there, I don't have a vision for this at all, this is a very great, like a primer almost, just, it's pretty short. Um, it talks about how her life and how she grew up and what she would call, I love this phrase, a story formed life, that books so shaped their family life that, she, that she called her family life that, but I just love that word, story formed. Um, and so this is kind of her family's journey and, helping to see the different elements of story, how they can be kind of formational and character-driven in your family's life. Um, So back to that. So Sarah has really talked a lot about, in her book, about this idea of being a hero, which I mentioned a little earlier. Um, So what we mean by this is a person who's admired or idealized for virtue, achievement, or noble qualities. Um, not a perfect person, um, not someone who never fails or never struggles. I think in a hero's life, you'll see you'll see both. You'll see the areas where a hero succeeds and accomplishes, and an area where you know they're failing or they're struggling. So it definitely doesn't mean doesn't mean perfection. Um, so what we want our children to be formed by, I think. It, it takes some intention doesn't it it's i think in our culture as we all know is so filled with with media everywhere it's so hard i mean we've had a hard time it's there's it's easy to pull out a screen because it's right there and there are times where it's worth it and you're we're stressed out as parents and we just need to do it sometimes we do it too but i think we've had to be so intentional about creating this practical space for reading um Trying to put books in the car, and you know, and just different things like that. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the practical part of it at the end. Um, so now we're going to get to talking a little bit about cultivating character through story. Um, so how do children understand what great character is? Something Sarah talks about in her book is she really parallels. Um, the concrete versus abstract. So when we're talking with our kids about an abstract idea like kindness or goodness or um, loving, being loving, I I don't know if you do this, and I hardly ever do, but you you might say, be kind or be loving or don't be rude or don't be mean or things like that. And so I think for small children, unless they have you know, the modeling of something in front of them, which is more concrete that they can see, or if they have a concrete, I think even like an image can be concrete to them or something they do watch or through books, they can gather these images of, you know, whether it's from the Bible or whether it's from great books. So they have this image of a scene played out by characters of what what is good, what is evil, what is bravery, what is foolishness um what is going to the dark side or but they have when we talk about these ideas with them if they've read and and can imagine scenes from books from different characters they have an idea of of what that actually looks like and as we mentioned before the scriptures are great with that it's like an embodied way of talking about these ideas So, how do children understand what great character, what great actually great character is? Um, How do we draw children children in to taste the goodness of great books? Um, I think part of it is picking something that they, something that we know is great, that we know is good, um, and something that they will enjoy will keep keep them going. So, I think part of it for us is. Not only that I think it 's great, but if if you give them a taste for something that is that they will keep asking you and they actually help you keep accountable if it 's something that will keep moving a little bit um, they 'll say okay let 's let 's read the next chapter if they 're old enough to do that um, but so I think there are there is this way of finding something that is can be a really good book with great things in it, good language, but also has this fun factor, an adventure factor. Um, to help propel them to want to read it, I actually love when, when we stop and they say please don 't stop let 's keep reading this because you know you 've got their attention to some extent that they 'll help they 'll help you keep going when you 're tired at night, I think Oops. so just to talk a little bit about um, some examples of what we're talking about here and some great characters. Um, I'd mentioned reading Anne of Green Gables. So for those of, I think some boys like it, probably girls tend to be a little bit more drawn to it. But um, I really have loved her character because she has a way of seeing the world in which is the way I want to see it and try to see it. So even as an adult, when I read it, I think I want to step out in creation and see that the world is beautiful to just the way she describes it, you know, whispering trees and glimmering waters. And I think it's just a way of seeing that when we're so busy sometimes and we're going from here to there, that we don't, we don't often see it like that. So I think even have, reading her books and having those ideas and words in my mind um, inspires me to see the creation in the way that it, God probably wants us to see it as a gift and something beautiful. Um, also, her friendship with Diana. Um, they just have such a sweet friendship, and they are very loyal, and they call each other kindred spirits, and um, I think, like, as my girls grow and as my kids grow, I would hope that, you know, reading those books, they would have some sort of an image in their mind, a model of what it looks like to have um, just a loving, kind, trusted friendship. Um sorry, a lot of these books are girl books. We read lots of girl books. We're, we're just now starting to read this stuff for our son, and he's he, we just read Moby Dick with him, and he was just a, a bridge, not the, not unabridged, um, but he's all into wanting to make spears in our backyard and, like, harpoon things, and the girls are like, stop doing this. They're always squelching his desire for adventure, so we're, we're trying to navigate that currently, but so my next one was Little Women, um, which is a classic for girls that were raised um, with a, a loving mother and father. Their father was out in war in this time. But um, I really love the character of Jo because she's... it's a fairly easy book to understand, but yet she is this complex character. So you see her sort of driven to want to be good, but she is in this struggle of feeling like, I don't have self-control, I, I don't do what I want to do, and um, constantly struggling with this internal battle. But I, I think it's worth saying, too, that the complexity sometimes of a character is what helps kids identify, like, oh, that's me, like, I'm not entirely good, I'm not entirely bad, and I'm struggling, in, you know, yeah. inside to figure out how I feel the same way, like, I don't always do what I want to do, and so even seeing the layeredness and the complexity of a character helps them, I think, to feel, okay, right. this, is, this is normal, or I identify with that, or, oh, she, this is part of her process of working that out in her own life, that, um, They may or may not have conversations with people. I hope they do about what's going on in their hearts and their minds but because I think that is the most important is relationships over books. I should say that. It's definitely most important to be in community and working these things out but I think great books do help us as well. Um, We love the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that series. Um, Here again you see um, especially, particularly in Edmund, the character you see really his struggle towards you know his loving his siblings and wanting you know wanting to be faithful to, de- to them, but then being drawn to to something that isn't good and being caught up in himself and his own desires. And so, you really see this troubledness in his soul, which can just spark great conversation as you're reading as you're reading that. Um, Lord of the Rings, I actually have not read. It's terrible. I'm sure a lot of you have read that. I have read The Hobbit, and we've read The Hobbit as a family, but um, I've heard a lot about The Lord of the Rings, and um, re- I've, I know I've watched the movies. I know. Usually I recommend <laughs> reading and then watching the movies, but um, it seems, from what I know of the story, that it is this story of, of great courage um, in the midst of difficulty. So by entering these stories, I think our kids can learn things they want to do, things they don't want to do. I really hope to lecture them much less on character, on that they should be doing this or should be doing that. And I'm hoping that by really having a life filled with stories that a lot of this will work itself out without me being the lecturer and that the stories can sort of be a springboard for conversation for us to have without me just telling them. Because even kids, adults, does anyone like us to just say, just do that, just, just do it. It's easy, just stop doing this, just do that. Like it doesn't really work for us as adults either, does it? It's much, if we can be led on a gentle journey in some way of growing, I think it's much easier for us to actually want to follow that. Um, one of my favorite questions when, in reading is do you think he or she should have done that? And I love this question because you can ask it from the simplest picture book to... The greatest classic, or, you know, a, an unabridged classic. Um, but I think we're used to maybe in school or in edu- educational settings thinking of comprehension questions, and it can show whoever's giving those that you remember specific details. So there's some validity to that, but, you know, as a parent, trying to guide our children on this journey. I don't care as much if, he, if, you know, if I say, what color was Johnny's shirt when he walked by the store? That's great if they remember that, but it's, it's, as far as what we're talking about today, it doesn't really help in, in talking about character and talking about more bigger ideas. Um, and so I just love that question because it just can really open up a doorway to having a really great conversation. It's not, and it's most of the time, it's not yes or no, right? It's not a black and white answer, but it's like, well, if, you know, if this, I can see this, if this happened, then you can kind of figure out where are they at with this issue and um, just sparks a really great conversation. I think other questions that, that are brought up, maybe if kids in stories are trying to figure out what, what, why are they here, what, are, what is their purpose, the kids will probably start thinking, asking themselves those questions too. Um, or what kind of a person ought I to be? What does it mean to have a good life? Those kinds of things. So we're, we're at the point now with an 11 and 9 year old that we're really, I've been thinking about this for 8 years and we're finally, so those of you with really little ones, um, I just encourage you that you might, be like oh our our discussions are you know quite small at the moment but I think even reading them great books when they don't even you don't think they understand you don't they can't have this great conversation yet but it's it's amazing what sort of seeds are planted and then eventually one day you're talking and you know this this conversation develops that the connections are made they come together all of a sudden and if you keep pouring and keep working at it like I'm finally there like oh it's this is kind of working, like they're, they're making connections That We're able to have some really great layered conversations now, which for me is really, really fun. Um, so you might be sitting here thinking, depending on the kind of family you're raised in, depending on challenges in your own life schedule, like, well, is it too late for me? Is it too late for our family? Um, and I say, no, it's not, because I think when I started this journey of wanting to cultivate this in the home, I really felt like I was starting as far as like what to bring or to, what my vision would be with, with, with nothing. That I really started so, so small um, with trying to kind of implement this vision. Um, even if it's a very, very short period of time. Um, I think, you know, if you figure out, that if you read 10 minutes a day to them, that's, what is it, three, 30, what is it, 30, yeah. you can tell I'm not a math person, 30 hours of reading a year, yeah, 10 minutes a day is, would you think that's, if you look at it that way, like we can look at 10 minutes and think, um, oh, that's really nothing, like if I can't do more than that, it's probably not worth it, but if you think about 30 hours a year of investment in something over the long haul, um, that's, that's a lot, that's a great investment, So a few things that, just getting into the practical a little bit, like what does this really look like? Um, some ideas that I've gained from other families is just having books around, like if you have a basket or something that you could put, maybe it's that you're like, I want them to read a few different kinds of books, maybe it's nonfiction or a nature book or a storybook, um, just having them in baskets just around for them to see if they see something interesting, they might be more apt to come and pick it up and ask you to read it or, and even for me, if I'm seeing it there, it helps me say, okay, let's pick this up and, and read it together. Um, it can, i I say that with hesitation because we have so many books everywhere that I'm beginning to think I've gone a bit overboard. I need to scale back, but still, if they see them, they may be more apt to want to read them. Um. I think, as we mentioned before, if they're reading something fun and exciting, that you can you can see the sparks in their head, that they're starting to imagine things. We've always tried to encourage um, acting it out, like make-believe or imaginative play. And a lot of times, if it's really fun and interesting, if they have space to do it, they might just do it on their own anyway. But um, we've tried to kind of encourage them in the boredom time or the I want to watch TV. I'm like, just go make something up. Go like create your own world. And um, and I think the more that they just hear a story, the probably the more natural that is for them and the more the more natural the connection is. So practical tips. Um, talked about you know, 10 minutes a day even. Um, I know a lot of you being young parents, it's an exhausting time and it's, sometimes you get to the end of the day and it's like, oh, this sounds like a fun idea, but I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. How do we, you know, realistically do this? And um, I, I get it. I've I feel like I'm finally not as tired as I used to be, but I get it when you have tiny little ones. Um, So sometimes what we would do, if you know, sometimes we push through, and other times um, we would play an audiobook. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks because it really does get when you only have even reading aloud. I love reading aloud, and, and some of you may or may not love doing that, but even loving it, it's like you can only do it so much before it's, it's exhausting and you have other things to do, right? Um, and so we would sometimes just you know, get audiobooks from the library and just play. Even when our kids were tiny, even in cribs, i just just like, put in, like before they went to sleep, just play stories, and they're starting to hear that language and um, those ideas and the voices. And um, it's kind of interesting, like stuff that we've played when they were really little, they'll come back, you know, they're older, and they have this sense of it being familiar, but they don't really remember the exact story. So that's kind of fun when you see those little little things. Um, the library, I don't know, for those of you who, I don't know if you use the library or not, I, when my kids were little, we started using it a lot more than I did um, prior to that. And they have a hold system, if you're, I think all of you are living here. Um, and I love that if you, if you have books that you know of or you have book lists that you're like, I, wanna, I really want to read through some of these books on this great book list, that's primarily how we get our books is by putting stuff, I'll just look at a list and put stuff on hold. Um, when we go to the library and I let them go free, it's a bit crazy and chaotic and I'm getting back like only like Spongebob and Barbie books and which, okay, you can read, you know, but um, there's so much great stuff that I really want them to read that we've kind of gone the route of I get it all and then I display this feast and say, look at all these options you have because I don't want to take the free choice away from them. I want them. If I want them to be able to choose things later on, I need to give them the choice to for it now, but at least I know that it's good stuff that I'm letting them choose. So that's kind of a way that we've kind of figured out to do that. Um, Audible is really great if you... We've gone on and off that. If, if I go off Audible for a while, they'll say, "Come back. We'll give you a free book if you come back." So then I'll go back, and then we usually end up getting off of it. So, if, but if you do have, if it's something you do budget for, it's about fifteen dollars a month to get an audiobook, and often the books are a lot more expensive than that. So, if it's something you would do anyway, you're probably getting a cheaper book. If you're not, it's you know, if it's it's not that cheap. If it's not something that you have budgeted, but but we have really enjoyed Audible. And some of the narrators for the different audiobooks are really, really wonderful. Um, And I have not tried this, but I had someone recommend um, LibriVox. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. It's like free books. Um, So anything that's public domain, they're all free so if you go to LibriVox.com, you can get all the classics um, for free. And I think, I don't know if there's an audition process or if anyone can narrate, but there, you'll look up a book. I just looked it up last night, like A Tale of Two Cities, and you'll have all these different um, readers. So I don't know if they're any good or not, but I, I do know that it's free books prior to 1923 um, that are free. So that's kind of exciting. I'm excited to check that out. Um, We've tried to also just have in the car like audiobooks going as much as we can. And so when your kids are little, it could be short stories like fairy tales or Aesop's Fables or um, just those so stories. Or, um, there is a man named Jim Weiss who has a company called Great Hall Productions. And he ha- he's a storyteller by trade. And so he does all these voices and just has you know, stories for really young kids. And then has, as the kids get older, there's history and Bible. And he's a really wonderful story. You probably either love his voice or, or some don't. But, but he is really a great storyteller. Um. And one other thing that we've done as our kids have gotten older is really is to help me, and I think it helps them too in their reading skills, is to have our older ones read with our younger ones, uh, or to our younger ones. And so they're sort of practicing and getting that fluency, learning how to, if they want to, do voices. Um, And so that sort of can help the whole family dynamic in many ways as your kids get older. Um, I did want to highlight this book as well. I mean, I, most of this, this one's not on this handout. There's a handout if you didn't pick it up on your way out. Um, so this one is not on here if you wanted to write this one down. It's called The Read Aloud Handbook. And this, the base, the front of it gives research on kind of emph- emphasizing more the brain part of things, like what is it happening in your child's brain with language, with, um, comprehension, um, They'll give studies about, like, what reading does for your overall, like, some people say it's the single most, reading aloud in your home is one of the single most indicators of a student's academic success long-term. So I'm not going to go into all that today, but if you're interested in kind of understanding that part and realizing what that's doing in your child's brain, there's a ton of, so the first, probably third of this book is research about that, and then the second two-thirds is an annotated book list. So I love books with book lists, probably, and I have way too many. I have like four of these, So if I need that many. But I've just really wanted to know what would be, you know, books that have character and books that are going to show them these things. So this, I'm not quite as familiar with all the books in here, but um, I would definitely recommend this one. And then on the handout, there are two books with book lists in it. One is called Honey for the Child's Heart by Gladys Hunt. And another is called, um, oh, actually all three of these are, Read for the Heart and Books Children Love. So all of these are are great. I would say probably if you just got one to start with, I would start with Honey for the Child's Heart. It kind of breaks it down into categories like fantasy books, science books, historical fiction, and really gives you a lot of information on what would be age appropriate and, and that kind of thing. Um, so this handout is just, had such a hard time limiting, you probably like limiting these books, but I was just, I didn't want to be overwhelming, but at the same time I tried to just pick some of our favorites of, um, different picture books and, yeah, classics, fiction, I I did put some audio books on here. Um, oh, and then one other thing I wanted to mention was a podcast that is a really, if you're just wanting to hear from a lot of different voices on reading aloud in particular. There's a podcast by Sarah McKenzie called The Read Aloud Revival. And she I've I've probably just like four or five episodes into it. I think there's guys know how many episodes now? Like 45 or 50 episodes now. But there's people from like college professors on there that talk about the benefits of reading aloud, to moms doing it in their home, to teachers. Um, Susan Weisbauer wrote a book called The Well-Trained Mind. She's also a college professor. So just kind of a gamut of um, different voices. So It's been really, really interesting to me and really encouraging. And there's tons of book recommendations on there as well. So that's a great Great resource. And there's, oh, and her, her blog is called Amongst Lovely Things, so you can get there either way through the podcast or through that. Um, we have a little bit of time left, so I was, hope, I was hoping we might be able to break into groups if you want to, um, just to talk about this a little bit. So I've got just a few questions, um, a few discussion questions. So maybe if we want to break into groups of, I don't know. Four or or if you came with people, whatever works for maybe about four or five people, um, and we'll just start with this first. We'll just start with this first question, and feel free to take as long as you want on each one. And however far you get is great. And I'll just kind of walk around and interject, or if anyone wants to ask questions, I'd love to talk about this more. So the first question is, what excites you about developing a culture of reading in your home? And then we'll move on to what are. So what's exciting, but then what are some barriers to this? And there's a couple more questions, so...